Hey guys, before we get started today, um, there are just a few things that I wanted to clarify. Due to the subject matter, this um, is an incredibly delicate uh, thing for me to tackle, and I hope that I've done so uh, sensitively. Um, I want to state two things before we get started. and One is something I've said many times before, but is now more important than ever, and that is God's affection for you is completely separate from your actions, whatever those actions may be. And this is why I believe murderers or rapists or whatever, many of them will be in heaven because God's uh, redemption of them is completely um, above anything that they could have done. So just want to keep that clear. He does not see you the way I see you. I see you uh, with a very shallow mind and uh, with a lot of personal sin. Uh, that does not mean that he does. And then two, I have no desire to modify anyone's behavior in one way or the other. Uh, you know, I'm, my goal is not to say, hey, don't do that thing that the world says you should do. But rather, if you want to do that, feel free. Um, all things are permissible. Just not all things are beneficial. And that is simply the message here. This is not to say, don't go over there, that's bad, and those people are bad. This is not that. This is saying, if you want to do that, go do that, that is none of my business. But this is the story of an incredible man who lived um, in a gay lifestyle for many years and walked away from it because he found it wanting. Um, it is a incredible story, um, both because of how rare someone who feels this way is, but also because uh, it inspires uh, every person to evaluate morality when it comes to sexuality, and, and which is probably the, you know, the hardest place to address morality, and just go, hey, maybe the guidelines that, you know, that were set in scripture, maybe that has some benefits. So anyway, I hope that made sense, and uh, and this is an incredible story, an incredible man. Peace. Hello, and welcome to Not a Victim. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is author and speaker Daniel Matson. Did I say your last name right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, you got yes. it. Yeah, I will say before we get started, your book is the most honest book I have ever read, and I have never. Every time I read it, I tear up. Just yeah. So, you know, I'm not, you do whatever you want with that. I just wanted to let you know it's really moved me. Well, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and I think anyone who reads it would, would, uh, would have some similar response to that. But, yeah, so just go ahead and tell me a little bit about your childhood upbringing. Yeah, well, I, I was uh, uh, the youngest of four boys. Um, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, graduated uh, high school in, in 1988. Mm -hmm. um, so that gives you a sense of, of uh, my formative years. Uh, I was baptized Catholic uh, and had First Communion. Then my family actually, um, when I was about 11 or 12, <clears throat> left the Catholic Church. We actually became evangelical for uh, many, many years. So my, my formative life as a religious person was, was uh, even though the, the seeds were in the Catholic Church, most of what I remember it uh, is was an evangelical um, kind of Bible non-denominational church. Right. Um, so I have three older brothers, um, and uh, you know I, I 
was taught to to love God. I loved God. I I I loved uh, learning about the the faith, and um, I assumed that I would have the same life that my parents would have. I assumed that I would uh, go to college, get married, have a wife, have a family. Uh, but there were some bumps in the road. Uh, I I uh, can remember my first attraction to um, another boy in my class when I was six years old. Uh, he was very good at kickball. I wasn't very good at, at sports at all. Um, and I remember just admiring him and, and wishing I was like him. And it's a very clear memory of mine. Um, hmm. When adolescence hit, uh, there was there was a lot of confusion because I found myself, uh, I was attracted to, to girls, but I was also equally attracted to, to other boys, uh, perhaps even more so to the other boys. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so I so, wasn't growing wait, up in an age. Right. Go ahead. So tell me a little bit about the, the story with the barn. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, a lot of people will, will, will sit there and say that, uh, okay, everybody that identifies as LGBT uh, is is born that way. You know, Lady Gaga said born that way. Um, I, I can I can uh, clearly see where things happen in my life that um, kind of I, I put in my book some things happen in my life that that sort of were a boulder dropped in into my psychosexual development, and and one of those was an encounter with uh, another boy in the neighborhood um, when I was about six, seven, or eight, around there, it lasted several years. It was um, an unfortunate sexual exploration, and it really awakened sexuality in me too soon, and it was with another boy. Uh, I can't remember how it started. Uh, we were about the same age, so I, I wasn't like a, an older person entering in it was it might have just been this exploration but right. children are not accustomed to they're, they're not prepared for that there's a there's an awakening of, of sexuality at that early age that that really can um mangle a person a bit and and i feel that that uh really wounded me in the in the realm of human sexuality and my own development i think it's clearly contributed to my attractions to the boys in my class yeah, you said, uh, I'm just going to read a quote, I believe our sexuality is like a river designed to flow along a certain path, but when things like what happened to me uh, happen in our lives, it is as if a boulder enters that stream. Just um, You already mentioned that, but just a little bit more on that um, idea, because that's very fascinating to me. Well, uh, yeah, th th there is this, this uh, uh, you know, if if we if we look at the design of our bodies, the the way we are made, we we are clearly in the sexual realm. We are made for the opposite sex, uh, and and most people will uh, experience the the the, uh, the sub on the subjective level the, the a correspondence with with the objective truth that their body says about the human sexuality. I know that I am made for a woman. Uh, that's my sexual orientation. That's my true sexual orientation. Uh, I, I don't say that I'm gay at all. If, if I talk about sexual orientation, it's actually that I kind of have a, a sexual disorientation. And I feel um, like I'm going to go to jail just for you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> this is this is uh, this is why thank God we have free speech. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> 
it, it, it's very it's been very helpful uh, for me to see it that way. Hmm. Uh, my body is a more reliable compass to my true sexual orientation than my feelings or attractions are. Hmm. Uh, so and, let's and, and wow. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I guess let's go. We'll come back to this, but um, let's start walking through your sort of high school and and up through college and all that stuff. Yeah. So so um, I'm confronted with with these attractions uh, to other men, boys in my class or, or men I saw, uh, and I didn't really uh, know how to to reconcile that, um, and I really doubted my own masculinity. I you know we, we live in America in this crazy world in which sports is the epitome of masculinity and for so many people. I was horrible at that. I was very artistic. Uh, I'm, I'm a professional musician now, and I, I, I became very good at uh, playing the trombone in, in high school. Uh, but my, my success at that, I was, being, I was named the, the best musician in the state of Michigan by the Detroit News my graduating year mm. um, in high school. But that didn't. That didn't impress the girls like being on the, the the basketball team seems to. I remember asking a girl to the prom uh, who who I really you know had a crush on, even though I was attracted to other boys. I thought, well, at the prom, I need to get a date. And, uh, and she said to me, well, I'd be happy to go out with you, but I heard that Chad's going to ask me out. Are you willing to wait? Well, Chad was the captain of the football team. You know, I'm I'm. I might have been named the best trombone or best position in the state of Michigan, but I didn't rate with this football player. Now he never had a career in in sports. I have a career in music, but what that told me is everything I believed about myself uh, that I was not really very apparently very masculine or very mm. desirable to women, to girls. I was always the friend, never the never the boyfriend. Right, and it, it um, sort of seats this idea that what it. Uh, you know, if that's what a man is, then I guess I'm not that, you know, or, yeah, I, or and I, in the I, traditional I, exactly. idea. You know? Yeah. And I, and I can recognize now there's an absurdity to that. Um, but, yeah. but when you're, when you're 16, 17, 18, it, you don't see clearly, mm. uh, how many of us see clearly back in high school? Um, and it's, we're, we're so conditioned by the culture around us to, uh, to reflect ourselves against uh, you know, what does it mean to be a man? And I had a, a skewed vision of what it meant to be a man. Um, and I fell short. And, and that contributed was that what else messed me up was pornography. I became addicted to pornography mm. on, a, on a Boy Scout trip, uh, a camp out, you know, probably when I was 14 or 15. And I was instantly an addict. Now, I didn't have a cell phone back then, but I, I found ways to get it. Right. Uh and that really mangled my view of what it meant to be a man, too, because you have these really you have caricatures of women and caricatures of men, mm. uh, which are not true portrayals of, of true femininity or true masculinity. It destroyed my view of women, too. Mm. Um, but I found myself becoming more and more drawn to the men that I saw because they were the ones who were getting the action, as it were. Right. Um, yeah, there's a there's a part in your book where you talked about the your kids the kids sort of in the bathroom all huddled around uh, like magazine or whatever. Tell me a little bit about that story. That story really moved me. I'm sorry to keep interjecting weird parts from the book, but no, that's okay. That's huge. not weird. That, 
Well, that that was uh, that was in the fifth grade. I can remember that very clearly. I always felt outside of the other boys. I didn't really know how to fit in with them, and and they were huddled around um, in the bathroom or around a magazine. It was it wasn't porn. It was just uh, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. But that was very exciting for yeah. fifth graders, and and uh, I wanted to see what they were seeing, and they hid it from me. And they wouldn't let me into their little their little uh, band of, of guys because mm. I was viewed as this perfect kid, and I would probably go tell on them. Mm. You know what? I, I I really wish I had been able to be welcomed into them. I wanted to see the, those those mm. beautiful women, but more than anything else, I wanted to be doing it with them. Right. Um. And I remember, you know, in, in junior high, I would I would surreptitiously get the swimsuit issue and you know look at it on my own and found found it pleasurable but uh i wanted to be with it with them and i i felt rejected by them and then of course as i grew up then then um you know the, the kind of women that i desired uh didn't desire me mm-hmm. they desired more of the athletic guy so it's just this kind of mangling of my my own sense of myself and, and my identity. Hmm. Uh, Do you have older? Pornography s- did a lot of damage. Right. Do you have older siblings? I have three older brothers. Okay. I don't yeah. know. I, this is just a working theory, but I just identify with so many of the sort of psychological uh, things that you mentioned in the book, including that, where like I had an older brother that I was really tight with, but I didn't like develop as quickly as he did because I always just did what he was doing. So, like, when he started, uh, when he got married, actually, when he started dating the woman that he married, that's, there were certain parts of, of my sort of identity that didn't really take hold until then, because that was the first time I had really been forced to sort of be my own person. And, uh, yeah, I just wonder if that plays a small role in, uh, in that, you know, it develops other positive qualities and that you probably are easier to get along with than someone than, than a more sort of a type A uh, person. But it's, but in this realm, when you're trying to be the boyfriend and not the friend, it seems like a negative, especially when you're super young and girls are super uh, immature. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting to uh, look back at, the, at the, uh, the meandering path of our life and say, how would I be different if things were different? And, <laughs> you know, at a certain, at a certain point, I said, well, I am who I am today. Yeah. Uh, and and I happen to like like who I am today. Right. And, um, and not always in the case growing up, you know, uh, did I like myself. There were periods of times when I hated myself. Um, and so I, I think one of the one of the important parts of this journey of our life is to to um, <clears throat> you know not not in any sort of um, um, I, I want to say accept the things that happen that we don't have control over. Um, and I'm not talking about if we need to defend ourselves or take care of ourselves, of course we have to do that. But but, but we are not, um, you know, I, I liked it, the name of this podcast. We're not victims of, of circumstance or of our fate. Mm. Uh, so a lot of things uh, were very wounding to me uh, growing up and brought a lot of pain, partly because of my own choices, porn, that was a choice I made that did damage to me. The rejection I felt from girls, uh, that did, did a lot of damage to me. Uh, but, uh, I think this is where, um, 
I think as a Christian, I, I can take great comfort in the words of, uh, of Paul in Romans 8, 28, where God works all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so, you know, I, I don't know what how those things necessarily shaped me for good or bad, but they shaped me to who I am today, and I happen to like who I am today. Right. Yeah, so let's just keep moving through sort of the story of your life, picking up um, – you know, college or high school or wherever we left off. I'm not really sure where we left off. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, um, you know, a- after that, a- after high school, uh, you know, I went to college. I got a full-ride scholarship for music. Um, I-, I put all my energies on that. I, I-, I had more and more attraction to men um, after the that rejection uh, at-, at high school prom. I Women started to feel un- a little unsafe to me. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, a lot of people liked the, the fun of the pursuits and all I was just getting was, was rejection all the time. And it was some fun after a while. Hmm. Um, but I, but I, you know, I, I planned to be married. I still had, uh, some attractions to women. Um, and, uh, so my junior in high school, in college, I was at, auditioned for this great gig and got in at uh, Epcot Center, something called the All-American College Orchestra. It was there all summer playing at, at Epcot Center. And there was a uh, woman in the trombone section that I actually found I had a crush on her, and she had a crush on me. Well, we started dating. Hmm. I was amazed. You know, We had a relationship for six weeks, and I basically thought she was the woman I was going to marry. I was head over heels uh, in love with her. Hmm. Um and it's very unrealistic at that point, you know, but it was my first real relationship. I, I dated a girl for two days in the fifth grade. Hmm. And now this was, it felt like a lifetime. Um, but she uh, pulled me aside at the end of those six weeks and she said, you know, we've got to talk. And she said those words, some people have heard, uh, it's not you, it's me. And she broke up with me. Hmm. Well, I found out later uh, that she broke up with me to date a woman. It was a shock to me, but it, it you know, we, we kind of deceive ourselves about who we are and that confirmed everything I thought about myself. I'm so undesirable as a man uh, that she would rather date a woman. Mm-hmm. Now, I, with the distance of time, I can, I can see that that's ridiculous, but it doesn't really matter what reality is. Oftentimes right. uh, it's what our perception is. That's what impacts us. So, what did I do? Uh, at that point, women were definitely not safe. I, I stopped really having any attraction for women, very little. Um, I st- started really being more attracted to men. I started buying gay porn, uh, living this secret life. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't doing anything with anybody. Uh, I was trying to be a good Christian boy, you know, so uh, I still was in my mind saving myself for marriage you know the big the big uh focusing on sexual purity which um i i did care about that you know i've I've taken a pornography but i i could still say well i'm still a virgin you know that was the big goal just had to be a virgin and at this point this is when um aids and hiv started coming into the uh world and I was t- scared to death. I was terrified of that. That also was one reason why I didn't pursue any of my desires. I was I was afraid to to die. Hmm. Uh, 
So I, I fast forward to, you know, finish my undergraduate degree, went, got my master's in uh, music performance, and then I got a job at an orchestra, fulfilled my, my dream. And then I looked around and I was just horribly lonely. This is, you know, mid to late 20s, late 20s, actually. Um, and I just slowly just started to just say enough is enough. I'm tired of living this way. And, um, and in my early 30s, I just basically turned my back on God and, and the church and went my own way and found a guy to have sex with. And it was uh, very disappointing. It was not some sort of magical moment. I think about the uh, the story of the forbidden fruit. We pluck the forbidden fruit. It never makes us as happy as we think we're going to be. Um, but I, I thought that what would make me happy ultimately was if I just wanted to find a guy to settle down with. So I went in, in pursuit of a guy. It took me about a year to find him. Uh, the sad thing about the gay world, it's it's so so many people just want to hook up all the time. That's all they want. There's a, there's a line. If you can't have Mr. Right, you can at least have Mr. Right now. <laughs> I was not interested in that. Right. Uh, and so it, it, it took me for like a year to find a guy. Hmm. And we started just dating as normal um as as you know we went to a movie you know we'd go to dinner that sort of thing and uh we started a relationship we were together for about a year and and i was happy i, I was happier than i had been i had somebody i could call and talk to and and share my life with and i was being sexually active and i enjoyed that um but i i i it wasn't this magical um you know, Hallmark movie ending. It was hmm. just, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was basically I realized now I had, a, I had this best friend and we could have sex from time to time. And, um, I was happy with, with the companionship and those sorts of things, but it, it wasn't, it didn't fill the, fill the void that, uh, the promise of having a gay relationship would do. Um, which which I you know find interesting in, in as I think back on it, um, but I was prepared to share my life with them. I was going to come out, and, uh, and now I had no attractions to women at all at this point. But some guy at work who didn't know about my relationship with this guy kept trying to set me up with a woman. I couldn't put him off anymore, so I decided to go to a party and meet this woman that he was thinking about for me. And uh, it's just annoyance, just an annoyance. But lo and behold, I met this woman, and I was attracted to her. Mm. Uh, I, it kind of made me mad. Actually. What was that like moment, like where you? That must have been kind of an odd moment. Well, it was. It was one of those things where uh, it sort of crept up on me. You know, you can't even you can't even say it's a moment. Like I, I first off just realized, you know, I'm hey, she's nice to talk to. I'm just enjoying our, our conversations, and I could recognize. Uh, intellectually that she was a beautiful woman. Uh, and then I started getting kind of these butterflies talking to her. Where did that come from? It was an emotional mm. thing. And then I I kept thinking about her. Even when I, um, you know, went went back to with uh, with Jason. And, and actually so much so that I talked to Jason about it. I said, dude, I don't know what to do with this. This is weird. I'm not, I'm not been attracted to a woman in a while, but I met this girl, I don't know. She's, she's great. She's beautiful. 
kind of makes me mad. What are we going to do? You know, we have this relationship where, yeah, I, what are we going to do? And, and uh, we talked about it quite a bit. And um, Jason said to me, he said, you know, I knew that you, I know how you wanted to be a father and, and be married and have a family. And he said, if, if you can have that, why don't you try dating him? Hmm. It was really remarkable. So he was sacrificing his own happiness hmm. uh, for me to have that dream. And so uh, with that blessing, I sort of started dating her a little bit. Did she know uh, during that time, did she know that you were, you know, having a relationship with a man at that time or did she not know? No, no, she did not know. Right. And um, I, I, I told her much later. Right. Um, because I didn't even know if it would go anywhere. Um, and, uh, it ended up, we were together for about a year and a half. Mm. And, uh, but there was a, there was a hiccup in the plans, uh, because she didn't want to have kids. Now, I, having had this experience with her for a year and a half, yeah, know, what I was, talked about, tell me, let's talk about that. What was the year and a half like? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was, I was telling you about how my body reveals my true sexual orientation. Um, and, you know, I don't necessarily always experience that on the subjective level. What was remarkable with her is, as I saw the, the beauty of the differences between men and women, and despite what everybody says, they are different. Hmm. Um, it, it, it just consider this, uh, even the way we would argue is different than with, with a man. Hmm. Um, she, I remember one time when she was angry at me, and I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and I was trying to tick off the list of, did I do this? Did I, do this? I thought I, I've done everything right. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, you, I had a dream about you last night and you were awful to me. <laughs> I said, well, why are you mad at me now? <laughs> you know, that, that's such, that's, that's, um, I've heard stories about that from married guys that women, women, uh, will do silly things like that. And of course, men will do silly things that will, uh, make a make a woman angry uh, that would make a guy angry. You know, mm. it's like she she was always bugging me about. Uh, you know, I'd leave the dishes in the sink till it was full. Drove her nuts. Most guys, I think it would they get it. Just why do the dishes until until it's full? You know, but just you know, all these 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 uh, differences that that really are are remarkable. And and I'm I'm of course picking these silly little right uh, yeah. Uh, things but but the the just the way she saw the world as a woman uh was so exciting to me just to share those things with her it was very different and it wasn't just a personality of oh she's different than ryan no she sees the world through the lens of a woman and that is different and it's beautiful and there's a gift there in that complementarity mm. and i i had no problem uh, we we were. I had no commitment to the church's teaching, and uh, I was able to have be sexually intimate with her, uh, no problem. I wasn't lying to myself. I wasn't. And this is one reason I write my book, why I don't call myself gay. I think, I think we we really put ourselves in these strange little boxes that you're gay or straight. Um, I could I could have a flourishing sexual life with her. Now I recognize now that it was, uh, you know. Ultimately, you know, I've, I've come to accept the Catholic Church's view that sex is 
needs to be reserved for marriage uh, and that it's open to life because it's ultimately kind of a, it's a selfish use of the person, mm. um, even if it's mutually engaged in. And not everyone's going to agree with that, but but I, right. I find that liberating. But uh, all that to say, there was no there was no problem in that area right. at, at all. And, mm. and there was more mystery there. It's like um, two guys would know exactly how how to have mm. get get excited at around. Right. One of the beautiful things about the difference between men and women, there, there is a there's a it's like a dance. It's beautiful. I think that's one uh, of the reasons the teaching of Scripture, as it pertains to sexual purity, one of the sort of beauties of it is that when a man and woman just live together for a couple of years and then the woman keeps waiting for the commitment to happen and the guy wants to be committed less and less um, and you know that eventually ends, that part of what dies in that scenario is the magic and is the is the mystery that... You know, when you sort of put everything in its right place and live uh, idealistically by the scriptural bounds, like there's all this unknown, there's all this sort of magic between you and her, that again, that if you have no commitment to the to the woman whatsoever, but you've, you're now, you know, have sex with her whenever you want or whatever, and, and now you're sitting doing laundry with her, like, it, the magic is kind of somewhat gone <laughs> compared to what it could have been in that um in the in the sort of biblical context it's a it's a thing where intimacy and commitment go hand in hand and that it continues to escalate into marriage rather than you know uh the other way around where you just everything is sort of out of order thoughts on that well yeah exactly uh, you know here's here's the uh uh, the beautiful thing that I've come to recognize about marriage now, um, the model for marriage is is the the uh, the marriage of Christ with the church. Mm. You know, sometimes we, we we like to think that, oh, well, uh, God made marriage, and then oh, that's a nice little uh, image that He can use to help us understand His relationship. No, it, it, Christ is the bridegroom, and the church is is the bride. And then we reflect that. And what did Christ do? I give my all to you, whom I love. You are my beloved. And you, the beauty of song and songs, I woo you, and 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 I care, and I lay my life down for you. Saint Paul says that uh, in Ephesians, man, husband, lay down your life for your wife, and that's a commitment forever. That that's the beautiful thing is say, uh, when when things are in their right order. Um, a man and a wife will come together and save themselves from from everyone else, save themselves for each other. I give all of myself to you, including uh, any child that will come from our love. I will be here until the end of my days. Hmm. And then the and then the woman says, "I love you so much that I give myself to you, and I receive you." All that you have with no barriers. That's why I like the Catholic view. Uh, even contraception. There's there's something perverse about contraception. It says, I love you only so much. I am not willing to receive everything you have to me, mm. have to give me. I'm not willing to give everything I have, have to you. That's why I like the Catholic view so much. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have a ton of kids. 
But when you have sex, make sure it's a full giving of the self, a self gift, uh, the the true union of the two. And this is a beautiful thing too. Think about it. Um, nobody has a reproductive system. There's a reproductive system when a man and a woman come together. It's the one area of the human body that is incomplete. So God split Adam into two. And the one area that we see that clearly is is in the realm of human sexuality. Mm. So by putting a barrier there, we're not really becoming one flesh. With contraception or something, condoms, that sort of thing, uh, you are not becoming one flesh and, and, and joining together. So anyway, that's a whole mm. uh, topic that I, I find – the honest truth is starting to see that, the clarity of that actually – came in my relationship with Kelly, um, which, which ended after a year and a half. And of course I, we were, uh, we were having sex outside of marriage. I see it now. It was sinful and I, I regret that, but I was just ignoring God. Um, but I, I thought in my mind that any woman, I, I, I somehow turned into a ladies man. That was not the case. Uh, and uh, <laughs> tell me about it, the, was, it was, yeah. Tell me about the, why, why did it end? Well, it ended because she didn't want to have kids, mm. and I, I really wanted to have children, and I, I wanted to have a chance to maybe find a woman um, that that would be open to having kids. Um, mm. But we were we took a year apart, and she didn't uh, – I, I didn't find anybody, and I realized, no, it's really her who I love. Mm. And so I, I, uh, I decided I wanted to get back together with her, and so I, I planned to really – um, you know, special lunch. I call her up. Can we get together? I brought some of her favorite food, and I had some flowers delivered at twelve fifteen. And uh, I had bought a ring. It wasn't an engagement ring, but it had thirty two diamonds on it. I was not messing around. <laughs> I want. I wanted her to know that uh, I want you in my life, and I will do anything uh, to have you. I, w- I want to declare my love to you. So you have no doubts about it. And so I, 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 uh, uh, you know, when these flowers were delivered, uh, I, I pulled out the ring and I, I uh, bared my soul to her and uh, hoping beyond hope that she would, she would come back to me. But uh, she said, no, hmm. she had, she had moved on. She wasn't in the same place where I was. And in fact, she had been dating somebody else. And I didn't even know that. So that it was really that was probably the most painful day of my life. Mm. Um, it's very I I had I had placed all my hopes for happiness on that, and they all came shattering. Uh, you know, it just fell apart. I was just weeping and sobbing on, on the way home. But so I, how do you respond to something like that? I I had a choice, um, and I I. So I had been kind of flirting with God. I, I she seemed like a gift to me, and uh, she was a gift to me. And it, you know, if, if there's a gift, there's a giver. And uh, so I would, I would kind of, I would say I was flirting with God, and but I, I decided I needed to have an answer to why do bad things happen? Why is there suffering in the world? <laughs> And so I started reading things on on pain and suffering. I read C.S. Lewis's Problem of Pain, and uh, read had a depressing book, the like the uh, uh, 
the journey from abandonment to hope or something, <laughs> you know, all these, all these books that I was, I was reading, just trying to find some help hmm. through this. But what, what I came, what I came to the conclusion is that um, when suffering comes, we have to really look to the cross. Now I, I can see that much clearer now with the passage of time, but it, it kind of uh, snuck up on me. And, and there's a, a curious line that uh, I kept reading about that C.S. Lewis wrote about and the, uh, the remarkable Protestant author, Elizabeth Elliot, who, who was a missionary down in South America and uh, her husband was killed by the tribe that they were um, trying to evangelize. And she went back and, and was a missionary to there. And she wrote a, a beautiful book several books about suffering one was a book about um loneliness and she wrote about this verse of saint paul colossians 1 24 which is a curious one he says i complete what is lacking in christ's affliction uh in my own suffering for your sake now c.s lewis and elizabeth elliott the, the protestants uh they 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 introduced me to this idea of redemptive suffering catholics really that's a big part of, of, of their teaching, but it's not that somehow Christ's um, suffering on the cross wasn't sufficient. Rather, he, he invites us to join him up there. and it, 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 It's a transformative way of viewing suffering um, to say, I'm going through this suffering, and because Christ is in me and I'm in Christ, I can, with an act of the will, say to Jesus, this suffering that I'm going through, Please join it with your suffering on the cross for the sake of whomever. That was transformative for me hmm. um, and really changed my view of the loneliness I felt. I remember staring up at this, up staring up at the stars one night after I was with some friends, and uh, I said, well, I'm so lonely, God. And oh, have you forgotten about me? You know, hmm. And it was this voice that... Um, clearly didn't come from me because I would never have thought of it. And and it, was, it seemed like God says to me, for whom are you willing to carry your loneliness for? Uh, it was a very powerful moment. And I realized what it, what it was is I could, the loneliness I felt after the breakup of, of Kelly, I could, I could sort of, uh, I, I could unite them with the cross for her. Uh, it was a really beautiful gifts from God to me. So I started to, that was transformative. And I started to look at all of my long life. I mean, I was, I was kind of bullied. Uh, thankfully not too much, but bullied by kids growing up, teased for not being very uh, masculine, the rejection from girls, all these doubts about my own masculinity, all this stuff. I started to do it through the lens of the suffering of Christ on the cross. And it started to make sense to me. So I started um, to write about homosexuality through that lens, to mm. see it as a as a form of suffering. What is what should be there in my life is 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 absent. It's a privation of the good. That's what um, people have often said uh, suffering is or evil is the, the privation of a good, mm. something that I should have uh that but i don't have for some reason or perhaps because my own choices um 
And to, to view homosexuality as a form of suffering that can be united uh, with the cross of Christ uh, really was transformative to me. And um, it actually led me back to the, to the Catholic Church because they have such a strong view of, of redemptive suffering. And mm. um, I want to, yeah, I want to get to that in a second. That's very fascinating. Um, what was it about this woman that was like attractive to you? Like the, do you think that she just embodied traits that are attractive to you? You know what I'm saying? Like, because I, I, it's very. I just don't know if I buy the idea that she's the like one magical woman. I'm not. I'm not. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I just think. Do you think that she had a mixture of traits and personality type that um, is appealing to you. I don't know. Is that a weird question? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not a weird question. I, I would not say that, that um, uh, you know, I, I don't buy the, the, the idea either that, that she's the sole woman on the planet that I could ever share my life with. Right. You know, I, um, she, she's, she's the only one so far that I've ever encountered that has been interested in me too. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so, so it's, it was, but at this point in my life, the, the honest truth is, is I'm not interested really in pursuing dating. You know, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. Uh, and it's just, it's just not even a, uh, it's not even a, a, a worry or a thought. I just am very content in my single state. Hmm. I do think though, um, one of the reasons I, I wrote my book is, is I don't want young people in particular to get trapped in this idea that you're either gay or straight. Hmm. This division of gay and straight is, is really artificial. Um, you know, I, over the years, I, I, you know, I did date a few other girls, a few other women after, after Kelly, but they didn't, they didn't work out. Hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I view that as, as, as God's will. Hmm. Um, and, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's, but at this point in my life, I'm, I'm single because I'm content. I'm not single because of my same sex attraction. Right. That's huge. Um, I want to ask you something, and this is, uh, this goes back to stuff we talked about earlier. And this is a question, not a statement for people looking to be offended. This is a question. Uh, (laughs) everything people are going to find. Uh, something in this to be offended by, I'm sure, if not the whole thing. But, um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I was listening to a comedy podcast from a guy named Burt Kreischer, who's this, like, crazy comedian that never wears a shirt. He's a hedonist by any standard. Definitely not not really a believer. Kind of a crazy guy. Um, he was talking about pornography, and, of course, he wasn't talking about it really in moral terms, um, but he was talking about how the more of it that he watched, that the he had to start watching crazier and crazier uh, stuff uh, as far as just like weirder and weirder and more sort of absurdist um, things to be aroused by it. And that things that was were traditionally arousing to him no longer were because he was deeply um, into this sort of spiral of constant kind of overstimulation. Do you think there is mm-hmm. any truth to that? And he talked about, again, he's not really a moral person, but he talked about the fact that he sort of stepped away from it for a while just for that reason, that he thought this is odd, that things that should be arousing aren't anymore, and something is odd about that. 
And um, anyway, just do you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think there's validity to to just over sexualization? I guess. Absolutely. I mean, um, there, there have been so many studies uh, done on pornography. It's it's got an addictive quality. Um, a great book that goes into great detail on on uh, the brain chemistry that goes on is called The Porn Myth by Matt Frat. Mm. Really remarkable book. Um, but it, it porn rewires the brain, and it, it's it's the dopamine receptors become dulled by uh, you know certain tame things. You know, right? Um, you can think you can think about Victorian England. Uh, women would uh, a man would get excited if they saw a woman's ankle. For goodness' sake, mm. um, you know that was very titillating uh, back then. Mm. Um, and and I think I think porn producers know this. And if anybody's looked at porn, um, you might just go to look at something that's fairly, you know, uh, you don't want. I don't want to say right, right. I know, I know what you mean. Is benign, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, not, not, but not super crazy. (laughs) Not super crazy. (laughs) And then the pop-up windows show super crazy stuff. Right. And, um. How many how many people get addicted to the super crazy stuff, and, mm. and then the stuff that used to to satisfy them uh, doesn't anymore? Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I I agree exactly with what that guy said, and the research bears that out. Mm. All right, I'm going to read an excerpt from your book right here, uh, just to go into the next point, and that is: it seems to me that we should naturally be suspicious of the worlds a man chooses. Oh, of Okay. How many times are we going to restart? Okay, one more time. I got it, got it. It seems to me that... <laughs> I know where you are. <laughs> uh, it seems to me that we should naturally be suspicious of the words a man chooses to describe his or her sexuality because it is the biggest area where he or she lacks objectivity. The biggest reason I refuse to call myself gay is simple. I do not think it is objectively true. In my own search for how to best understand myself and my sexuality, I've been fascinated by the thinking of other men and women living with same-sex attractions who never felt like that words like gay were useful for them either. Um, Yeah, just a little bit on that. Even people outside of the moral aspect that are suspicious of that term as it pertains to how they see themselves. You know, it's it's very fascinating... um... That one of the uh, two guys that are part of Dolce and Gabbana, the big Italian fashion house, mm-hmm. um, Stefano, Stefano Gabbano, mm. or Gabbana, I don't even know how to say it, but um, <clears throat> he, he's an Italian guy. He's been in a relationship with uh, another man for decades. And just last year, he said, you know what? I'm not a gay man. I'm just a man. Uh, it was big news in in uh, Italy, and it, uh, it made news over here, too. Um, I, I think that there are people that are starting to wake up, even in, in even people who are who are, uh, you know, in a, in a relationship with with another man uh, that they're saying, why am I suddenly cordoned off from the rest of humanity as if I'm a certain different type of sexual being? Mm. Um, I quote in the book um, the novelist James Baldwin, uh, you know, just remarkable African-American writer. And he had a lot of relationships with men. And, and I quote in him, quote in the book, and he says, 
the word gay has always rubbed me the wrong way. It's never made sense of my experience. Mm. Uh, say it, so too with me. Um, I, I, I think that we are in this horrible age of identity politics and everybody mm. needs to be pigeonholed in this certain area, uh, wherever you got to be defined in a certain way. And, and the sad thing is what is the greatest area of I, identity politics today? It's who you happen to be sexually attracted to. Mm. Why have we divided the world between gay and straight? Mm. Um, there's, I can't remember exactly where in the book, but there's somewhere where you talk about, um, when you enter the geographical area that was kind of a uh, a gay community that you felt that over time that it sort of felt shallow to you. Just sort of describe that uh, idea. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's there was a certain point in, in my life where I decided, I, you know, I guess I am a gay man and um, this is who I am. And so I I visited a friend from high school who was in Chicago and he was out and, and we we. I you know, started hanging out with in the LGBT community, you know, hmm. a little bit. And and uh, it, it felt a little liberating at first. But then I then I started looking around and say, what holds us together here? Hmm. It's just who we happen to get aroused by, sexually aroused by. This is the common thing. And, and our sexual appetites and uh, our sexual inclination. Of course, there would be things that are talked about other than that. But the core identifying element of, of being a part of the gay community was basically rooted in who you wanted to have sex with. Mm. It made no sense to me. Uh, I did not feel comfortable with that. Uh, I, you know, I thought about the community that I had uh, with with growing up. You know, it's just uh, family interests, school interests. Uh, you know, my dad's career, my, my mom's hobbies. Mm. Um, the fact that I was a Boy Scout, you know, uh, that I was you know, all these just different things that naturally build community uh, compared to the LGBT community. It really boils down to ultimately the community is rooted in who you want to have sex with and share your life with. Now, I'm not I don't want to cast a, a, a caricature. Right. Of, of course, people have their careers and things like that. Sure. But what I'm talking about here is is the defining element of the community hmm. um, is is that, in my opinion, being gay is a social construct uh, that is not rooted in objective reality. So too is being straight. Hmm. It's like no, you're a man, you're a woman, and and you have certain sexual appetites hmm. uh, and inclinations, and they may change throughout the course of your life. Right. Everybody talks about sexual fluidity. Well, it's far more honest to say you're a man or a woman and your inclinations and attractions could be a little bit fluid. Right. So why carve out this as your identity? Right. It's very liberating. Yeah. Uh, it's very liberating for me. It seems very common sense to say that, although that is incredibly controversial. But yeah, that seems very straightforward to me. So if there's one thing that um, gave energy and power to the gay marriage movement and all that, it's that people of faith and all different kinds of people have mistreated gay people and have genuinely used uh, morality as a scapegoat to abuse power, as a scapegoat uh, to abuse sort of hypocrisy and to just be incredibly uh, rude and incredibly sort of insincere. And there's just all this pain that gay people have gone through. And so it 
um, Martin Luther King said a long time ago that um, culture continually goes too far one way and then too far the other way. Two, two things want, I wanted to ask you about. So addressing how much pain gay people have gone through unjustly, and then two, this idea that, that people of faith struggle with, you know, doubting the character of God and with um, struggling with the kindness of God, maybe even projecting um, negative traits from their earthly father onto God and feeling judgment where there could be um, freedom because of God's view of you outside of your sin and, and you as, uh, you know, as his child. Um, just all the guilt and all the negative emotions that can come with someone uh, in your shoes saying what you're saying. Um, you know, just what do you say to someone who is feeling those things? Yeah, well, I, I'll start with the secular first. Um, how, what is our vision of God? How do we view him? Uh, that's the great, that's the great human drama right there. That's the greatest drama in the history of humanity. He came that we might have joy and have it to the full. I came that we might have life and have it to the full. Um, and we doubt that all the time. We doubt that all the time. So, and oftentimes that's, that's, uh, shaped by our earthly father, as you said. Um, and we think of God, the father as a rule maker above all else. So, so that's, uh, the last part of my book talks about that the most important thing I, I, I've learned in this journey is to claim my belovedness as a son of God. The, the people that I want to talk to are people who are finding themselves uh, disillusioned with with what they're finding to be the empty promises for happiness in the gay community, mm. or people who are considering entering into that and say, look, there is another path, and, and, and God does love us, and he desires our our happiness and our fulfillment. Hmm. Um, and, and the question is, can we, can we really embrace that, that it's good that we exist. It's good that God created us and, and that he does look at us with love and like a loving father, he says no to us to certain things because he wants our happiness. Hmm. Um, that's why I, I just want to, I want to invite people to, you know, I go ahead and be angry if some people are, but but uh, to to at least um, consider the possibility that what God planned for us in human sexuality is really the path to peace and fulfillment and flourishing. Mm. Well, have, great! Thanks have, so much. Have a great dinner. <laughs> yeah. All right. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.